0: I know that uh, as we hit summer, uh, summer feel is already here. Our kids are out of school, and when summers come, this is when all the big movies start to hit the theaters. Are are there any, like, super moviegoers over the summer? Like, you make a summer list and you get ready. I know, this is all different after COVID. You're like, I don't want to go to the movies again. Um, It better be good, so I already saw Jurassic Park with Eileen and we were excited to get out and see it, but some of the best movies tend to come out in the summer. And at Crossbridge, uh, before the pandemic, we had a rhythm of every other year we would switch it up a little bit. We would go from, you know, uh, different series right kicking off the summer into called Playlist where we'd look at different songs and then we would do at the movies where we look at different movies. And we would always pick current movies. I know that this series comes with a mixed review. Some people love it and long for it. My kids were excited we were doing this again. Some of you hate this. I'm not sorry. We're having fun. We're going to do it. Um, So we'll try to do all we can for all people here. But um, we thought it would be fun, instead of looking at some of the movies that are coming out this year, to go back and hit some of the blockbuster movies from that classic decade of the 80s. Any 80s movie fans? Okay, good, good. This was awesome, hence the, uh, the growth of the mustache for the 80s today. This was one week in a decision last night. So if you're like, oh, what happened? It's going away after this. It was purely for the 80s. That's it. Um, and and it, if, if I said I'm going to keep it, I think it would be my wife, who would be the one who's like, I'm shaving it while you sleep. Um, so, uh, amen. I hear that, Sam. I do. Um, so, you know, so for the next four weeks, we're going to jump into some classic Awesome 80s movies and for some of you. This will be highly nostalgic others You may not have seen these movies for some reason and I'm gonna tell you up front all the movies We're gonna see and watch clips from are all rated PG But if you were around in the 80s, you would be very very quick to understand that 80s PG is Not the same as 2020 PG You know what I'm saying Right? That's because in the 80s, would you believe there was no PG 13 rating? There was no PG 13 rating. There was no PG 13 rating until it was one movie that changed everything, and it was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Parents brought their kids, and they thought seeing human sacrifices was not kid appropriate and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas agreed, going through divorces made the movie a little dark, and so they reached out and said, yeah, we're kinda down 13, 14, and so they shifted it. And so, um, when we look at some of these clips, I'm reminding you, they're all 80s PG. Uh, If you're gonna go sit and say, you know what, I might watch this with my family. If you have little ones, I'm gonna encourage you, preview it before you watch it with them. But that being said, all of these movies Almost all of them I have watched with all of my kids before they were at the age of 10. So I'm not sure if that's good parenting or not. You, you get to decide. So here's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. We're going to hit um, Dead Poets Society, The Karate Kid, um, The Princess Bride. Those are some good ones, right? Anybody excited about those? Yes. Okay, good, good. Um, today we're going to start with one of my favorite movies of all time, a top 10, The Goonies. Yeah. The Goonies. Uh, Any Goonies here? This is a classic 1985 movie, and this movie from 1985 means that it's almost 40 years old. Oh my gosh. If you're sitting here and you're like, okay, Jimmy, what in the world does the Goonies have to do with following Jesus in the Bible? This is not why I came to church today. What does this have to do? All I have to answer you with is where do you want me to start? Like this movie is, is, is the best. If you have, not, let me just get a poll here. How many of you haven't seen this movie? Okay. Oh my gosh, this side is so weighted. I'm sorry. Uh, fries, you need to do this. My heart hurts. It's okay. It's okay. If you haven't seen the movie, let me catch you up a little bit here let me catch up. This is uh, to a clip that we're about to watch. This is a classic 80s movie about a group of misfit kids who grow up in Astoria, Oregon. So it's cold, it's rainy all the time. And it's in an area of Astoria they call the Goondocks. That's the name of it where they're going to get the Goonies. And so these Goonies, these misfit kids come together and they find themselves in an odd spot where all of their family's homes are about to be foreclosed on and they cannot stay unless they find the money or their parents find the money. So, they go into one of the lead character's roles, his name is Mikey. They go into Mikey's attic, and Mikey's about, like you know, 12, 13 years old, and they happen to find the treasure map to an old pirate named One-Eyed Willy, okay, One-Eyed Willy. And so as they figure out, okay, here's the map, here's where X marks the spot, they start to head off to where X marks the spot for this treasure, and they're joined by Mikey's older brother and two really annoying older teenage girls, and if you've watched it, you know, they're the worst characters in here. Um, So they have this map. They start to stare at the map, and they realize X marks the spot at the bottom of an abandoned restaurant that has now turned into the hideout for one of the most um, fiercest, stereotypical Italian mob families. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody know the name of the family? The Fratellis. The Fratellis. They ditch the family. They go down a secret passage. They journey underground and realize the entire journey has been booty-trapped. That's what I said. (laughs) And if you missed that, you didn't see the movie. That was classic. Do we have a bottle of water? Excuse me. Oh, look at that. She corrects me and gives me her water. Oh, that's a winner. Marry someone like that. Thank you. So, as they go down this completely hijacked path, they realized there was someone who went before them named Chester Copperpot. And Chester Copperpot, um, he died trying to get there, he couldn't make it, and they're scared because of all these booby traps that are coming along, and they're going to die, and they don't know what to do, except for Mikey, this lead character. Mikey has this bigger picture of saving the neighborhood, right, paying off these houses, and in the clip we're about to watch, they have come across a unique spot where they're at the bottom of a well, and now there's a bucket by a guy named Troy that's been brought down, and they have a way out. They can be rescued from this spot. And as they ready the bucket, 13-year-old Mikey, he delivers what I think is one of the best one-minute motivational speeches ever. Let's watch. This is the moment of truth in the movie. This is the moment when everything could turn. Do they take Troy's bucket or do they continue to go after One-Eyed Willie's pirate treasure to save the goondocks? You know, I I think, whether we'd like to believe it or not, we are often in the same exact spot as the goonies right here, where we find our lives, living our lives, and we're scared at what we're dealing with. We're scared at the life that we're in, and and many times we're longing for a way out of these tough situations that we have. And as followers of Jesus, we often, I believe, pray for buckets, pray for ways out of situations and troubles in life when they present themselves, and and then we so quickly jump on. And it makes me wonder, How often do we pray that God would quickly rescue us instead of realizing that we're right where he wants us to be in life? I mean, how often do we view the troubles and the trials that we have in our life, these are as intrusions, and now we need to jump on and jump into Troy's bucket, and yet we think it's God's bucket. He's provided a rescue. Now, I don't think Mikey knew Jesus in this movie, but I will tell you, he sure sounds a whole lot like him. In John chapter 16, the biography of Jesus that's written by one of his best friends, John. I would love for you to turn there, uh, John chapter 16. And it, this is an amazing moment where Jesus is at uh, with his all of his disciples. They're surrounded at this last meal that, of Passover that they're having together before Jesus ultimately know what's, knows what's coming. And in John chapter 13, we find him sharing this meal and and explaining his last things to these disciples and telling them exactly what's about to go down in his life. And his disciples respond like this in verse 29, John 16. Then his disciples said, At last, you're speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything, and there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. How cool is this? The disciples for the first time are announcing, we get it. We're not confused. We know everything that, you're about to, that, that you just said. It makes sense to us, and we trust that you are from God. Even though in this moment they really don't know what's next, they're declaring, we're in. And so Jesus, to this announcement of faith, responds to them like this in verse 31. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when you will be scattered, each of you going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus tells them the truth about what's coming. Within hours, they will all desert him, all going their separate ways because they are scared, leaving Jesus isolated and alone, but he's like, guys, it's okay. I won't be alone. My father is going to be with me. It's, it's okay. Now, if I'm a disciple and I'm sitting at that table with Jesus, you just make this giant declaration of, we believe that you came from God, I'd be asking myself, why in the world are you telling me this? After I just declared my faith in you, you're going to say, we're scattered. Why would you do this? And he answers this question right in verse 33. He said, I've told you all this so that you may have, what's that word there? Peace. peace. I've told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He told his to his disciples so that they would have peace with him. He doesn't You know, lie to them about what's coming. He doesn't tell them, if you follow everything that I've commanded you in your life, it will be so much better and you won't have any issues with life. It's gonna be grand. Your life is gonna be full of rainbows and butterflies and manicured paths through the desert wherever you are going for each step that you take. The last thing he tells his disciples before he goes to pray over them is here on earth you will have trials and sorrows. You will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He tells them, life is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard, and it will have issues. It's almost like if the Goonies found this treasure map from One-Eyed Willie, they open it, and there's this personalized note on the inside telling them there's going to be difficult puzzles. There's booby traps. There's the possibility of death. You could lose it all. Now, if you knew all of that, when you looked at the map to begin with, would you go? Would you take the journey if you knew there was a risk to it? Would you jump on the adventure? I think think the answer is some of us. Actually, I think many of us would say, yeah, I, I would start down this way. I would go just to see how hard the trap may be. How difficult is the puzzle that I might have to solve? You see, the Goonies got no heads up. It was X marks the spot, go ahead. Jesus straight up tells us as his followers, this world is full of trials and struggles. It's sorrowful. And anyone who follows him, we can expect the same exact thing that he dealt with, trials and sorrows. Here's what makes Jesus different, though, than a map with just an announcement that it's going to be hard. He doesn't just say, you know what, life's hard, get used to it. That's what I like to say, but that's not what Jesus says. Instead, he offers hope to his followers. I've told you this so that you may have what? You may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Because he longs for us to have peace in the life that we live, peace in our trials, in all of our sorrows, he doesn't just make them go away, does he? No, he offers us and says, these are all going to be there, so I'm offering you my peace in these trials, and in these sorrows that you will have. You can take heart. You can have peace. Do you know why? In all of these things that come, it's okay because there's nothing in the world, there's nothing the world can throw at you that I haven't already overcome. Your peace is in me, not in, in just overcoming those things, but it's in me. There was nothing, the world threw at Jesus that he couldn't deal with, and there's nothing the world could throw at us that Jesus still cannot deal with. And if we, are going to find peace in the trials and the sorrows of this world, then we are going to have to look at the bigger picture. We're going to have to look at the bigger picture. You see, when, as followers of Jesus, we place our our hope in what, and we declare that we believe that Jesus died, that he was sinless, that we believe that he was resurrected from the dead, that he ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, when we declare this, We are declaring that we believe in a God who can bring peace, purpose, and redemption to anything that hits our life, any sorrows that we face. There's no longer unexpected booby traps that come our way. They're just expected trials and sorrows now. These will come to all of us. Do you know what I mean? Think about how much life would change if we lived like this. If every time trials and sorrows came, they weren't an inconvenience. I mean, we have to remember Life is going to be hard. Can you just say that with me? Life is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard. Life is hard. It's just That's just the reality. But we have peace through Jesus, and I'm not sure why we're trying to lie to each other and say life is supposed to always be good. Life is supposed to always be perfect, and it's just not reality. Life is hard. That's the one thing every human being has in common. The bigger picture for followers of Jesus, is that when these trials and sorrows come, we will find peace when we accept that life is hard. When we know that this comes, we find peace going, I'm not surprised. This is part of life. There, not that sound weird to say there's peace in just recognizing life's hard? We don't like that. We see these things as intrusions, we hate them, but it will change the way that we see the world. I mean, seriously. It'll look ridiculous to the people around us, without a doubt, but it will change our perspective. This is actually what's happening here um, with Mikey in this clip and the rest of the Goonies. This is exactly what's happening. He's been to, or they, as a place, as a group, have passed through the place of some of the booby traps. They've panicked, and now they're at this well, and, and, and Troy, the guy who's lowering the bucket, um, he's a dirtbag. Uh... Just is, you know, horrible character. Uh, I mean, great for the movie, but don't could be friends with a guy like that. When he lowers this bucket, he lowers it down, and this bucket, it doesn't, it doesn't just offer a way out. You see, for Mikey, he has a bigger picture in mind, and he knew this was going to be hard. One-Eyed Willie wouldn't just let the treasure be found that easy. There's going to be trials. And he remembers in that moment, he's like, Chester Copperbot, we've made it further than the pros. We've made it already. And he tries to inspire them. And he's like, guys, we got a chance at this. We got a chance. And Andy, who's standing on the bucket, she says, a chance for what, Mikey? A chance for getting killed? If we keep going, someone could die. Maybe Chunk who is another amazing Goonie. Uh, Maybe Chunk is dead. And Mikey responds, you know what he responds with? It's such a great phrase. It's like a classic Goonie phrase. She says, maybe, you know, Goonies never say die. Goonies never say die. And Andy's response is just shaking when you stop. She says, I'm not a Goonie. I'm not a Goonie. I just want to go home. You see, Mikey and Andy, they saw this bucket completely different. And it's simply because they belonged to different groups. Mikey, along with all these other misfits, were goonies. And they never say die. But Andy was popular, wealthy, a cheerleader, Troy's girlfriend. Why would she not want to take the bucket, right? She didn't understand what Mikey was saying. Jesus sat at his table with the disciples and he told them to accept the truth life is going to be hard so find peace in me because i've overcome the world he gave them a new lens to look at the entire world through that would not make sense to anyone around them and this would set the apostles apart for the rest of their lives and i believe it's what sets us as followers of jesus apart they continued to press forward as his followers And any time that trials and sorrows came and they were confronted with issues on their adventure, they never stopped. Did that mean that they were reckless and they just did everything they felt like doing? Because they're like, it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. But they were not scared of death. They didn't complain when trials and troubles came, they expected the unexpected. That our trials and sorrows are expected. And there was a supernatural peace that made no sense to anyone around them. If you look at the whole of the New Testament, especially all of the, the writings of the early church, you see the disciples that are in that room with Jesus. They live with more purpose than anyone else who was around them. It landed them in literal judicial trials at times. They were before judges. It landed them in prison. It even cost all of them their lives. But in each situation, from Acts through Revelation, we find them at peace. Do you know that? We find them celebrating the unexpected trials. In every letter that they write to the church, if you go through this, it's great. They don't ask and they don't pray for Troy's bucket prayers they never pray that the trials and the sorrows would be removed they do not ask for people to be removed from prison or for people to stop being persecuted they actually in all of their writings pray for god to be glorified in their imprisonments in their trials and sorrows in their persecution they ask not for troys bucket but they ask for endurance to keep the gospel of jesus on their lips and to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus to anyone who was persecuting them. Let me just ask, how often are we looking for and praying for Troy's bucket? Because we view each trial and each trouble in our life as an intrusion, as something that that has now stopped the path that God has for us, and we think, this shouldn't be here. I want it to go away. You see, the apostles never prayed that. Jesus never prayed that. And they never, even though they were scattered and persecuted, followers of Jesus never prayed away the pain. They just prayed that in it, each follower of Jesus would be transformed more into the image of Christ. And they celebrated it. I mean, it's unbelievable when you look at it. Here's just a couple of, uh, you know, when they write, here's how they viewed some of the trials. We've been going back to this verse a lot for some reason. In the, book of, or the letter of James that he writes to this unbelievably persecuted church. This is Jesus' half-brother. Um, and he writes to this Jewish community in Jerusalem where persecution is happening endlessly. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that, what's the word here? When, not if, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You see, these Jewish followers of Jesus, they're right in the middle of conflict. And, and because of their closeness of following Jesus, they became outcasts in the entire Roman Empire, they also became outcasts in their Jewish communities because they chose to follow Jesus. Now their literal neighbors and the nation can't stand them and they are set apart. They're persecuted on both sides. And what is James's prayer for them? Is it, Lord, would you rescue them and send Troy's bucket or is it it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith is going to develop endurance or perseverance? Like, consider it joy when these things come because you're looking like Jesus and people are going to see this and it's going to make it... He doesn't pray for joy's bucket, does he? How about Paul? When the Apostle Paul is writing his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. He had just visited this church a couple of months beforehand. And uh, this is a city, if you were to read into Acts chapter 17, that this city was unbelievably diverse. And it was one of the only free cities in the Roman Empire. Free cities meaning there was no um, Roman military stationed there. No garrisons. They were free. And this huge cosmopolitan area, with everything that you could imagine, people-wise, religion-wise, they got along and wanted nothing to disrupt the peace. So when Paul shows up with his crew, a couple of people come to know Jesus. It continues to expand. A lot of people come to know Jesus. And the Jewish people in that city get so frustrated, they hire a bunch of thugs to start uh, protests and riots in the city. And then they attack one of the houses in the city of a guy named Jason. And when they attack Jason's house, they bring him, put him on trial, and everyone starts to get uh, in this giant uproar and they imprison Jason, Jason and his followers, and they're like, that's it, it's done. All the believers of Jesus, they post bail for him. These followers of Jesus come out, and they basically say to Paul and his, his friends, y'all got to leave. <laughs> like, they're, they're, we don't want the Romans to come and take this over. You're going to cause some issues, so you can move on to the next city. And now that Paul's gone... This is what he writes to them in this city where the church is absolutely not welcome because it's disrupting the peace, and he writes this to this persecuted church in his second uh, second letter, chapter one. He says, "Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing, and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God, or we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness." in all the persecutions and hardships you're suffering. This church basically got shut down and persecuted for coming together. And now they're under heavy persecution. And Paul says in this chapter right here, he goes, instead of praying for Troy's bucket, he's praying and celebrating who they are. He says this in his prayer. He doesn't pray for a bucket. This is how he prays for them. He says, so we'll keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way that you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer for them is not a bucket. It is simply to have power to keep going and accomplish anything that God calls them to do. He prays for endurance, not rescue because this is what Jesus looks like. We could look into Romans. We can look into 1 and 2 Corinthians, First and 2 Timothy. We could look into Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, any of the letters that you want, and never, ever, ever find a prayer for rescue. Maybe it's because they actually believed the words of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, I have told you all of this so that you would have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The Goonies found themselves at the bottom of the well. And they all looked at Troy's bucket a little bit differently, didn't they? For some it was an answer to their prayer. For others, it was not. For some it was safety, the beginning of, of getting out of there. But for Mikey... It wasn't, was it? It wasn't only the end of this adventure, but it was an end to every one of their relationships. It was an acknowledgement that Troy wins, and his dad wins, and we all lose our homes, and it becomes a golf course. He's got a bigger picture in mind, which leads to that unbelievably iconic one-minute motivational speech when he says, Don't you realize... The next time you see sky, it'll be over some other town. The next time that, that you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they, they want what's best for they, our parents. They want the best of stuff for us. But right now, they got to do what's right for them because it's their time. Their time, up there. But down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we go up. Troy's bucket, and he shakes it. All I want to say is just because there's a bucket doesn't mean it's an answer from God. I wonder how many times we've prayed for a bucket because life just got hard and we want it out. And so we jumped on, and in doing so, we missed out on something that God was using and could have used in our life to build endurance and perseverance. Sometimes, I think we just need to all be reminded that life is hard. We just need to be reminded it's okay. Life is hard. And that's why I am absolutely more in love with Jesus now than ever because he never lies to his disciples. He just says, I'm telling you, life is hard. And I know it's going to be hard for you. It was hard for me. But you could find hope in that. And the reason the disciples could find hope and could find peace is largely because Jesus himself demonstrated this right after." Right after he says this, life gets hard and he is falsely accused, beaten to within an inch of his life, hung on a cross to die in the most brutal, brutal way possible. He never grabs on to Troy's bucket, does he? Praise God he didn't. This is the cost that every one of his followers paid. As trials and troubles and pain unfold in your life as they unfold what makes it even harder in the life of your family or your kids how often are you praying for an out instead of praying for endurance how often are you praying that the very thing that would shape them would be removed how many blessings have we prayed away from our family and our own lives how often are you losing heart? Because life is hard and we forget the bigger picture of Jesus. As we prepare to take communion this morning, as Chris comes to lead us, I want to leave you with a reminder this morning from the author of Hebrews and to close it with one phrase from Mikey Walsh, the best Goonie ever. Would you stand with me as I read the word of the Lord and close with Mikey? The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 32, think back to those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule ridicule, And were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that would last forever. Amen? That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. How do you pray when trials and troubles come your way? Let's celebrate communion together as Chris comes.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Here we go. Thank you. All right, Crossbridge family. Um, So I just want to... kind of take this moment to thank you uh, th- this kind of message makes me think of you know my family father's day makes me think of family is- issues and things and i get to think back on dedicating my kids here and uh... just knowing that you are my family and you have held me up and my family up so much with your prayers and that's a special thing that we get to share and, and has given me endurance uh... and us endurance and, and you've poured into us so much so i i do want to thank you for that um, And in Father's Day fashion, I'm going to keep this kind of simple today. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are, for showing us what a father does in love and in service and in endurance. You have never stopped loving us, and you've done everything possible to make sure that we know that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you touch each person here as they remember you as the father today. We get to celebrate that. We get to learn from that. And I pray that we are encouraged today as we share in this uh, sacred sacred moment, remembering your son and what you gave to us, who you gave for us. We could not imagine, I could not imagine doing something like that. Let's eat and drink and remember the gift of our Father's Son, a gift that can never be repaid but in grace is given to us. And in closing, I believe we have a, a space in the back in this room that we're going to be using for prayer. And Today, today might be difficult for some of you, and maybe you don't even know why. Maybe there's something stirring that's based on Father's Day. And I just would ask you to lean into that. If, you, if you'd have the boldness today to pray with someone. And, and don't miss that opportunity. So have a great week. We'll be back at the movies next week. See you then.